Brazil recently held the first round of their heated presidential elections earlier this month, as political rivals, former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, commonly known as Lula, took 48% of the vote. In comparison, current President Jair Bolsonaro took 43% of the vote, forcing the two into a runoff later this month to decide the next president on October 30th. With two diametrically opposed candidates and the current president sowing distrust in the electoral process in case of his defeat, political tensions in the nation remain high. Which brings us to the question of how we got here and what may happen next. This is The Global Current. I'm your host, Drew Starbuck. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation, our analyst today is Christopher Benitez-Cortez. Hi, Christopher. Hi, Drew. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. And focusing on the international aspect today is Aaron M. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Drew. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on the show today. All right, guys. I want to start to get into the background of both our individual candidates today, and I want to start with former President Lula. So I want to turn to you first, Christopher, as our domestic analyst, and ask you during what time was Lula the president of Brazil, and what happened during his initial tenure? Sure. So the important thing to know about these two candidates is that they both had passed during the military dictatorship from 1964 to 1985. Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, otherwise known as Lula, he was a metal worker and trade union leader who was jailed by the dictatorship of basically was the spearhead of the opposition and once democracy came back to Brazil he headed the biggest left-wing party in the country o Partido dos Trabalhadores or the Workers Party he was elected to the presidency in 2002 and in his term or his couple of terms that went to 2010 he largely strengthened Brazil's international image he was seen as as this middleman the the man who mediated the disputes he was close to the Bush administration here in the States and to the government slash regime of Hugo Chavez of Venezuela. He was also very close to the Iran of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, especially when it came to their nuclear program and their right of self-defense. Domestically, he was incredibly popular. He operated a lot of the social welfare programs that defined the Brazil of the 2000s, most notably Bolsa Familiar, or Family Basket, in which people basically received some sort of universal basic income, and Fami Zero, or Zero Hunger, which lifted many Brazilians out of malnutrition and food insecurity. Uh, do you have anything to add on to Christopher's point, Aaron, of like strengthening international or domestic institutions that Lula did during his tenure? Yeah, so basically, when Lula became president, this was basically kind of a new beginning for Brazil and the country was just coming out of a horrible economy and not being very global in terms of international relations. So during Lula's presidency, Brazil had great relations with many different countries, especially the United States, Russia, and China. And more importantly, during Lula's presidency, Brazil, China, and Russia formed the group that is known today as the BRICS nations including India and South Africa. And also Lula made a bunch of trips to the United States and changed the American view of Brazil and also himself. Because during that time, you know, it was 
the end of the Cold War, and many Americans compared Lula to Castro in Cuba due to his left-leaning ideologies. So would it be fair to say, Aaron, that Lula has strengthened both Brazil in opening up their economy to foreign investment and trade and also formed relationships with great economic powers such as China, Russia, and forming economic partnerships such as you said with BRICS with China, Russia, India, and South Africa. That's right. Right. Turning back to you, Chris, uh, Aaron mentioned that he Lula was more of a left-wing candidate. Does that track with you of more, uh, more favoring left-wing policies? You mentioned the social welfare programs that he initiated. He was a leftist through and through, no doubt. He he really loved what he did when it came to social welfare. Of course, given his agricultural background as a as a young man, you know, working class, blue collar background growing up, and uh, for him it meant a lot for positions of power and authority to be more benevolent and involved with people's daily lives than being in some faraway palace on top of the hill. That was not him. One thing that did get into him, however, was corruption. And Lula's fall from grace happened in 2017 with Openaso Lava Jato, or Operation Car Wash, which was this big investigation launched by the federal police into just minor corruption, but at the end really transformed the Brazilian political system, engulfed him, engulfed many of his allies, even some of his rivals, but he was eventually indicted for corruption, for giving contracts out to Odebrecht, the um, a construction firm, to go and build projects overseas with Brazil's foreign development money. He was convicted, but his arrest was formally overturned in 2019 by the Supreme Court after a U- UN Human Rights Committee began an investigation, which was seen by his supporters as a very brief time out of the political limelight in which everything came awry. But in the grand scheme of things, it allowed for a lot of change. It allowed for for Bolsonaro and other right-wing parties in Brazil to gain traction. So what was exactly he accused of, Chris? You mentioned, so was he just accused of corruption or money laundering, anything specific like that? Basically, mismanagement of funds. He received bribes from officials in the construction industry to go build projects overseas with Brazil's foreign development money. These projects were mostly in Lusophone countries in Africa, like Angola, like Mozambique, but also in the region, in Brazil's neighboring nations in South America. If Lula's big foreign policy thing was to go expand Brazil and its influence, these were the ones actually carrying it out, and they were not, they were by no means authorized to do it by due process of law, but by their own pockets. However, the investigation, as you mentioned, by the UN Human Rights Committee did conclude that Lula was, or that his rights had been breached, and is that correct? Yes, it was, it was determined that his rights had been breached down to two things. One, that the um, jurors were, not, were politically motivated to rule against him, and that his, his right of privacy was invaded when many of his phone calls and many of his emails were tapped into. Yep. I want to turn our attentions away from Lula for the moment and look into the background of uh, the other main candidate, Bolsonaro. Um, do you want to go into the background of Bolsonaro, Chris? Christopher? Sure. So, as I mentioned earlier, both of these candidates were involved in the years of the dictatorship. Bolsonaro was an army captain, and once democracy returned to Brazil, 
he, being a former military person, was very much disgruntled by the new order. He entered politics on a consistently hard-right platform, and in 2018, when Lava Jato was being carried out, when Lula's two successors, Dilma Rousseff and Michel Temer, were being thoroughly prosecuted and thoroughly blamed for the low living standards of many Brazilians, especially in the cities, Bolsonaro knew that this was his time to come in and shine. And so he was elected in the 2018 presidential elections, defeating PT candidate Fernando Haddad, and social media really outburst, and this is where we could confidently say that polarization began in Brazil in earnest, because this was a far-right leader in a country that had grown to love left-wing policy. The first major reaction to his election was the Eleno movement, Eleno being Portuguese for not him, hashtag Eleno was exploding in Brazil, and Bolsonaro has really not responded in the right way. He is incredibly unpopular, and his term in office has really been marked by accusations of mismanagement of funds, mismanagement of crises, especially the COVID-19 pandemic, which I'm sure we'll get to soon, and also major ecological disasters like the forest fires in the Amazon and violence in the streets. I see. Looking instead away from his domestic policies for the moment, Aaron, what would you say is uh, Bolsonaro's foreign policy outlook compared to his opponent? Yeah, so, I mean, during Bolsonaro's presidency, he had a lot of policies that considered to be right-wing and also very conservative in terms of international relations. And many people around the world saw Bolsonaro as being an anti-globalist, and it really showed in his rhetoric and actions when he was president. Let's say, for example, Bolsonaro distanced Brazil from the United Nations and even went so far as to threaten to withdraw from different groups such as the World Health Organization and also different treaties such as the Paris Climate Agreement. Also during Bolsonaro's presidency, he also isolated Brazil's former partners such as Cuba and Venezuela, and this is due to because Cuba and Venezuela all have leftist governments. And also he wanted to have a closer relations with leaders who are like-minded, such as Donald Trump, who was President of the United States, and Vladimir Putin of Russia. I see. So would it be fair to say, Aaron, you know, Bolsonaro has had a nickname being the Trump of the tropics, rose to power in 2017, whereas Trump took office in 2016, both anti-globalist to a certain extent and embracing more populist uh, right-wing policies. Would you say that is a fair comparison, especially with disengagement from multilateral institutions? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, especially when you look at Trump during his presidency, I can draw a lot of comparisons and similarities between um, Trump and Bolsonaro, you know, in terms of being anti-globalization and not being as friendly to the UN and NATO and all and all these different organizations. Turning back to you Christopher, I'm starting to see the connections of like the world pulling away from the World Health Organization and the Paris Climate Agreement whereas with his more domestic positions on certain issues. You want to go into that a little bit more Chris? Definitely as Aaron said, Bolsonaro is a very firm right-winger, very I'm gonna say radical he is definitely a populist, which likens him to Trump, to Putin, to Viktor Orban, and so forth. And his social views, especially on uh, the LGBT community and abortion, 
and the status of women in Brazilian society and ethnic minorities, it really shows him as a polarizing figure. He's taking the staunch, very conservative opinions on these issues, which have alienated many, especially in the urban areas that he he once so so stridently carried, now very much regret having supported him in the first place. Yeah. We mentioned uh, Lulu's corruption scandals earlier. Was there any such accusations towards Bolsonaro as well, Christopher? Oh, absolutely. So Bolsonaro was a senator for many years, and many of his former staffers accused him of graft, especially from their paychecks, and as president, he has been caught rent-handed multiple times, especially with members of his family. But more recently, he he was pressured to get vaccines for the COVID-19 pandemic. He got them from India after accepting a bribe. Interesting. So we have two presidential candidates that both have been accused of corruption or taking irregular contracts from to monopolize their influence overseas or economic contracts overseas. That brings us to what I wanted to also talk about, Christopher, is like the economic and social aspects of this election right now. And I wanted to start uh, with the energy sector and the oil industry pop policies, especially with the world as it is now, struggling with higher gas prices and the cutoff of Russian oil to the rest of Europe. What is the comparison like between Lula and Bolsonaro in their energy policy? So what's interesting to know about Lula is that despite being a hardcore left-winger, he was very much pro-oil. Brazil has plenty of known oil deposits, especially offshore in the Northeast. And during his time as president, Lula worked to develop them through Petrobras, the state-owned oil company. Or better said, it's, it's Petrobras is more state-majority-owned. It is a publicly traded corporation, but the government has most of its stakes. Lula was very supportive of building oil rigs and keeping the oil industry as a source of employment. Needless to say, Bolsonaro is also into, into oil. However, his big deal has been to privatize Petrobras. He hasn't managed it because Congress pronounced itself and said that could not sell its shares in Petrobras without unanimous consent. However, he has been pretty adamant that he wanted Petrobras to be privatized, one, out of principle, out of, let's say, a capitalist principle, and two, because according to him, it was very much a dead weight on the economy, considering that production hadn't been going so well. And recently, as of recently, with the shortages due to the Russo-Ukrainian war, Bolsonaro has, co- has contemplated starting to buy diesel from Russia. To my knowledge, this has not exactly been carried out, but with so much going on in the in Petrobras as, the, as, a, as a company, we can say that things have not been easy for your average Brazilian. You already talked about the privatization of the oil industry, Chris. I wanted to get into, because you mentioned some COVID skepticism, I guess would be the right way to put it, of Bolsonaro. How has he handled the response to the COVID-19 pandemic during his tenure? Objectively, absolutely terrible. Brazil suffered a lot. Many people have died. I think they have the highest death count in Latin America to this day. Bolsonaro has, just like President Trump here in the States, has been very skeptical of the COVID pandemic. When it first came out, he really derided it as as a little flu, a gripezinha in Portuguese. He ended up catching it himself alongside with some members of his family. And after that and some political mangling and wrestling, especially from Congress, from opposition parties, 
he very much saw himself forced to take some action, get some vaccines. It is reported that the populations of Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo, the two biggest cities, were basically 100% inoculated within a few days once vaccines arrived. Needless to say, this is also very much contributed to the rift between progressives and conservatives, urban and royal, urban and rural, white versus minority. So Bolsonaro really did not know how to manage the pandemic in a way that could help him or the country. Yep. You mentioned the divides in society, urban versus rural, uh, white versus minorities, and Bolsonaro, to a certain extent, exasperating those divides. Do you want to go into any more into that, of those social divides within society as we look towards this next election? Well, Bolsonaro has given some commentary that has openly offended many in, LGB- in the LGBT community. And as for the indigenous communities, this is actually a very nuanced issue. Bolsonaro supporters will say that he has done much to improve the lives of indigenous people. But his detractors argue that what that improvement is, is actually assimilation, cultural genocide, something for which Bolsonaro himself was actually taken to the international court in 2019. I am not aware of a verdict, though. The crux of it all is that Bolsonaro has been trying to expand farmland and agriculture by encroaching on indigenous reserves in the Amazon. This is why we are seeing forest fires in the Amazon. Some are natural, others are very much provoked by ranchers, settlers, and colonists who are taking over indigenous land, who are reportedly citing Bolsonaro and his attitudes for the aggressions committed against indigenous tribes and communities across northwestern Brazil. You mentioned deforestation, Christopher, especially that has been an important issue, especially with the world paying attention to that of like the importance of the Amazon rainforest and capturing carbon and try in the fight against climate change. Do either of you have anything to add on just his deforestation policy and the environmentalism overall? Yeah, I mean like ever since the election of Bolsonaro really Brazil's government had little care with the environment and you know in 2019 the Amazon rainforest had a massive wildfire that spread throughout many parts of Brazil and you know when it came to the environment as Chris said Bolsonaro never got any really any high remarks on it and many anti-conservation forces that support Bolsonaro have been gaining a lot of power in government since Bolsonaro was elected to office and many illegal loggers have been emboldened by Bolsonaro's rhetoric. On the contrast, Lula used the topic of the environment to help win votes. He pledged to fight environmental crimes such as illegal logging and to work towards a net zero deforestation and also plans to work with the international community to reduce CO2 emissions using agreements that were made by the Paris Climate Agreement. So really this election is it's about the. It's really threatening the the forest and the, the lives of many diverse animals in yeah. living in the Amazon. So, you mentioned you know agreements made by the Paris Climate Agreement, and so imploring that the world at large has an interest in this current Brazilian election. So, Aaron, as the international analyst, what has been like the foreign responses or reactions as they watch this presidential election unfold? Yeah. So, like for example, right in the rest of Latin America, I feel like there was only one question. Would Brazil continue to be an outsider or would they be part of the trend that is happening right now in Latin America? So over the few years, countries in Latin America have continuously been electing 
candidates that are considered left-wing or progressive. And this is due to many factors, but mainly high cost of living, the pandemic, the pandemic that has wrecked the economy, and a slow economic recovery. Let's take, for example, Colombia. In the middle of 2022, Colombia had a presidential election, and they voted for Gustavo Petro, who was considered left-wing. And many Latin American countries that have a left-wing government then congratu congratulated Petro for winning these elections, such as Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Honduras. And Chile was also a big one, too. They elected a left-wing president named Gabriel Boric. Before the election, there were large-scale protests that erupted through Chile, and this is due to high gas prices, higher cost of living, and more social inequality. And so really, if Brazil elects Lula, this will help smooth our relations with other Latin American countries. Do you want to expand beyond Latin America, Aaron, to any of like major powers such as the United States, Russia, China? What would their reaction be? Yeah, so overall, the United States would like to maintain a stable relations with whoever the president is, whether it's Lula or Bolsonaro. However, in my opinion, the United States would do better off with Lula. And this is because of Trump leaving office. When Trump was replaced by Biden in 2021, Bolsonaro distanced himself away from the United States and their relations, since they didn't really meet eye to eye that much. And another concerning factor uh, with the United States is that would the elections cause any kind of controversy after the election after the election results are in so for example right uh, people have thought that bolsonaro would make the same excuse as trump made in 2021 so ever since brazil started the pres the process of their elections joe biden have been very worried about bolsonaro calling the election a fraud if he doesn't win and so the white house fears that if lula wins bolsonaro call will call the election a fraud and will give an excuse for the Trump supporters for their actions that happened on January 6th. And the big question for the United States is, do they want history to repeat itself? What about other major powers, Aaron? Anything, any reaction? You mentioned uh, Bolsonaro trying to maintain, well, both Lula and Bolsonaro are trying to maintain strong relations with both Russia and China as well as the United States. Mm -hmm. Do you want to expand on those two powers as well? Yeah. So in terms of China, China has also been watching the Brazilian elections very closely. And in their opinion, China hopes that Bolsonaro wins the election. And this is, even though Bolsonaro did make, did say a lot of anti-China rhetoric in the past, Brazil and China, they're very important uh, economic and trading partners because again, both of them are part of the BRICS nation group. So. Ever since Bolsonaro was elected in 2018, China feared that Brazil would not be as friendly to China. And that was true because of the United States and Donald Trump. As you know, Donald Trump, because he's also considered conservative and had very similar ideologies to Bolsonaro, they had a great relationship. However, ever since Joe Biden was elected as president, Brazil started to have a better, started to make better relations with China as a political stance, since they don't see eye to eye in a lot of places with Joe Biden. And since Bolsonaro is criticizing the United States for changing the government, Ch 
China thought that it would be a good opportunity to continue to have a good relations and trade more with Brazil as not only to help their economy, but also to expand their influence in Latin America because China's been doing that for the past mm -hmm. few years now. Uh, we only have a little bit of time left in the episode, guys, so I want to get into just final thoughts. First question is, who do you both believe will win the upcoming election? And then after that, what are the consequences of either candidate winning, both domestically and internationally? I'll come to you first, Chris. I'm going to go with the polls. I'm going to say Lula is going to be reelected as president of Brazil. So far, he he's shown that he's going pretty well. He received 48.4% of the vote, which is a slight majority. But, yeah, the country will be divided, but I believe Lula will be the one to to uh, win. Oh, what do you think, Aaron? Well, I'm also going by the polls. I also do think Lula would win, just because, you know, during his presidency, Bolsonaro has had a lot of controversies that kind of made Brazil not like Bolsonaro. And, you know, if a president is not well liked, they're not going to get the votes. So you both think Lula will win. What do you think are the consequences of that, uh, especially with Bolsonaro sowing doubt into the electoral process if he loses to Lula, and like the consequence of that for Brazilian democracy? I would say that the consequences of Lula winning, Brazil's going to get a lot more stable simply because there will be more politically stable because there will be a bit more consensus of opinion, at least among the political class, but of course among the coming people, regardless of whether Lula or Bolsonaro wins, Brazil is very divided, so we can't see, we, we don't have much of a bright outlook on that term, but with a Bolsonaro win, you can expect the opposition parties to start wreaking havoc. In a way, you could see you could see this very much like um, our country in 2020, with the polarization, possible deni denial of election, corruption accusations on both parties, and a lot of international pressure Brazil is really not in a good spot right now. Yeah. Well, we we hate to end it on that note, but this has been a great discussion. Christopher, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Annie Hebel. Hey, Annie. Hey, Drew. So what headlines do you have for us this week? So Xi Jinping is expected to be appointed to a third consecutive term in China. There was a mine explosion in northern Turkey, and we have some updates in the Russo-Ukrainian War. Some very consequential headlines to cover then. Let's start with the annual Congress in China. Yes, so Xi Jinping is expected to be appointed to a third consecutive term as the head of the Chinese government at the Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. The move comes four years after the Chinese government abolished term limits and seemingly cements Xi's position as the most powerful Chinese leader since Mao Zedong. Xi's reign has been marked by his attempts to strengthen a unified Chinese culture, leading to accusations of genocide against the country's Uyghur Muslim population as well as a staunch zero-COVID policy that has led to intensive lockdowns and a slide in China's economic growth. Cementing his leadership for both the short and long term, it seems. And you mentioned an explosion in Turkey? Yes. At least 41 people are dead and 11 are injured following a mine explosion in northern Turkey. Crews searched for more than 20 hours to find missing workers, many of whom were working more than 300 meters underground, the level at which the blast is believed to have occurred. The explosion was believed to be called by the release of flammable methane, known as fire damp. We can only hope that the survivors are getting the medical care that they need. And Mia, you mentioned there was updates on the Russo-Ukrainian war? Yes. So Russia has launched its most widespread attacks in months against Russia, 
Following the explosion of a bridge that cut off Russia's only land access to Crimea, at least 14 people have died in the attacks, which have largely targeted civilian areas. Russian President Vladimir Putin has vowed to use additional force should Ukraine continue to threaten Russian security. Thank you very much for coming on, Annie. Have a great day. Now that is all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming shows. The show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew. Executive producer Jasmine DeLeon, associate producers Eric Bunce and Hamza Khan, technical producers Andrew Okulia and Bobby Kyle, and of course, your host, Drew Starbuck. The Global Current is brought to you by Seen Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thank you.